welcome to today's show. Today we have Brent Wiesemeyer from Vision Angus in Amherst, Colorado. Can I say that right? Amherst, Colorado? That's right, David. All right, Brent. Well, welcome to the show. And today we're going to discuss your program and your role at the National Western Stock Show coming up in Denver. What are the dates of the show this year? Well, the there's two weeks of it. And I think the first weekend is around the 7th and 8th of January. I don't have the calendar open, but um, the Angus week would be basically kind of the 10th through the 13th because okay. we're going to show show some pin cattle and that is Saturday the 13th. So that's that's the week of, of the busyness. The b- busy weekend would be that 13th, 14th. Got it. All right, Brett, let's start with you. Where were you born? Let's start right there. Well, right here, not necessarily in this house, but uh, um, this is where where I grew up in Northeast Colorado. And my grandpa came from South Central Nebraska, and there's a lot of times that I wish he'd have just stayed there and instead of bringing us out here kind of to the desert. But uh, um, it's real flat, really good farm ground. Um, and then we go about 20 miles to Sand Hill Range. Um, and actually most of our cows, some are in Nebraska, right on the state line. And we're, we're five miles from Nebraska. And, and so this is, this is where I grew up. And about 20 years ago, we came back here, Tina and I and the boys and, um, and, uh, my dad was kind of getting ready to retire and, and, uh, we were jumping around a couple different places. And so we've been here about 20 years now, but, uh, you know, before that, so put a, a kid that didn't even know what Wranglers were or Ropers, you know, and back in junior high, junior, junior college in the eighties, uh, hardly got off the farm and was, uh, kind of naive to the world and went to NJC at uh, Sterling, Colorado and was part of a really competitive livestock judging program there. And then I went to CSU and animal science, Colorado state judged there under Clint Rusk and that that's a fun part there because when you talk about your your pedigree we always talked about that in terms of if you judged who was in your pedigree behind you in terms of coaches and and um you know and clint rusk has certainly touched a lot of people and it's i'm honored to have been part of his pedigree in terms of a coach and then i went to nebraska in graduate school uh ruminant nutrition thought i wanted to be a feedlot nutritionist and and I really enjoyed that part, you know, learning about feeding cattle and, you know, just the big picture there. Um, when I got to Nebraska, they were changing over in terms of what they were going to do with their livestock judging team. And so I was the first guinea pig graduate student to coach Nebraska livestock judging team. And they've had several in between, but I was blessed with some really talented young men and women and we were competitive and we went from nowhere on the map. I mean, Nebraska wasn't even making the top 10 and we were, we were in the top four, just about every contest, one American Royal. And, um, and you know, I, I remember the first, well, it'd be my second or my first full team. I kind of had a half a team before that. And we had Scott Starr from Stapleton, Larry Hafer, Kelly Bruns, Dr. Kelly Bruns now is at, uh, at North Platte, at part of the Nebraska, um, university system. And we go into Denver and, and those guys drop like six, nine, 15 points on the floor. I mean, just incredibly low drops. 
And then we get beat. I don't know if we ended up third or where we ended up, but they just got kind of skunked in the regions room a little bit more. And, but it was amazing tasting that success and seeing the confidence in those kids' eyes that, Hey, this Wieselmeyer knows what he's doing. And, and, um, we have the ability to be competitive. It was easy after that. I mean, it, we were, we worked hard and we went a lot of places and, and it was a good, good bunch. It was a lot of fun. So, um, but I, oh, I got my master's program or my master's degree, should have got my PhD, but that's another story. And then, uh, uh, went and taught at, uh, Curtis, Nebraska. There's a community college there, coached there for a couple of years. And that program was kind of, wasn't ready for what I wanted to do. And, and then after that, we kind of went on our own and started chasing cows full time and went a couple different places and then came back here about 20 years ago. So that's a little bit of the Brent history. Was your dad, was he into cattle, Angus? Not really. A little bit. We had cattle, you know, and so, uh, Jim Stroh, uh, Bar Lazy 8 Ranch was south of us here about 20 miles. And in fact, pretty close to where we summer cows and his girls were really active in the junior Angus program then. And so, um, we bought a few cows from him. And then they encouraged me to go to the Colorado Golden Trend, which was the junior state junior show. Went to that a few times, got a little bit of a taste of, of junior activities at Angus. And then, um, it, it was hard. Uh, my dad's priority wasn't, uh, helping Brent in the show barn and, you know, with his projects, it was getting farm work done. And, and so it was a little bit of a struggle, but, uh, the Angus side that goes five generations back, David, is my wife's side. Oh, okay. Um, so, so Tina is my wife, um, and she grew up in the Torrington area. And her grandparents were Don and Doris Wilkes. So Daryl Wilkes was part of NCA before NCBA. And um, they had Wilkes six bar D Angus, and then her folks had had guest Angus and her dad. In fact, I've got him here. A couple, uh, I had Tina dig him out. We've got her dad worked for Blackwatch farms in the early sixties is when he joined Blackwatch. And that, that was an outfit that had cattle in New York and then ended up with cattle in Wyoming. And, and, um, I can't imagine trucking cattle in the sixties from New York to Wyoming, but they did. And, but her dad came from Missouri. And so even Tom Burke knows that our boys are fifth generation Angus on that side of the family, because, uh, Tina's dad was TC guest and his grandfather had Angus cattle in Missouri. And so we, yeah, like I said, I mean, Tom Burke surprised us. This was years ago and we were talking with him and he, he knew all the names and everything. It was, it was pretty inspiring. You just talk about your wife. Talk about your family. You got the wife, got the kids. Yep. Two boys. Um, they're 22 and 24 now. So the oldest is Austin. He works for Soother Feeds out of Frankfort, Kansas, and he lives in Holyoke. So he's out here part-time, uh, really involved with the cattle and, um, and we're bringing him into the program more and more and working on that. And so he's a part of basically daily decisions and everything too. We, 
uh, something we're really working on is developing those family connections, family business the right way from the beginning. And um, Austin is a really good clipper and a good story there when he was, um, see, I think he was 19 or right out of high school or maybe his, yeah. And then Alex is two years younger than him. And, and um, Alex is a senior at Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska. It's a Lutheran college, but he's in agriculture and he'll be involved in, um, oh, politics to, uh, I guess, uh, um, that's his forte. He's not as much hands-on outside and, and, uh, he enjoys that kind of stuff. So Austin, I got a story for you. When we, we went to the Arizona national and, um, the boys had a, one of their friends and they competed in the, the fitting contest. And I can't remember all the judges, but, uh, Jeff Jackson was one. And then, um, oh, the, he has Hereford and, and club calves from New Mexico and, and, uh, Kayla Fawcett used to be married to him. I can't, Matt, Matt called. Yeah. Um, anyway, those boys won that fitting contest and there was like 20 teams, you know, and the Schnorr girls were a team and it was, they, they won that. And so those judges are so impressed with Austin as a fitter and a clipper that he had jobs the next day fitting fat steers at Arizona. And then that year in Denver was what set him, um, apart. He, you know, Jeff Jackson had jobs for him and, and, um, those other guys. And the next thing we knew that year in Denver, he was helping Sullivan's and he doesn't help them anymore. I mean, he's got enough of his own thing going, but there was about five years in a row that, that, um, you know, he, he, whenever he was available, Sullivan's would take him. And, and that's a pretty kind of a, that, I don't know. That, I, I don't think they take every kid in the book that comes along with a clipper, but uh, he's very talented. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in the north, northeast corner, northeast corner of Colorado. That's pretty arid country up there. What's it like yeah. raising? Ray, I think you, you don't just do ranch and I think you actually looked into it. You do a little bit of farming up there too. What's it like raising cattle up there and, and trying to farm? That's, that's a hard part, David. Um, because we are surrounded by farmers and you know, they don't, it's different. Um, and I think it's a different level of competition, you know, for land. Um, you know, a lot of people and we do a lot of crop share things. And so some of the landlords are observant and know what the cattle takes some aren't um that's a challenge you know it's pretty easy to see that hey Bieselmeyers have a few more weeds than everybody else in their field and but they don't know if if your cows look like they're in the right rig or healthy or whatever and it, it, it's a challenge um but uh we make it work we we use some a lot of seeded forages and rotate a lot of different ways it just depends on the year and what we can do. We've got a few pivots so we can get, get some things done, you know, without worrying about drought and wind too much, but it does make it challenging. Um, that's for sure. But, uh, we all, we have enough summer range that, you know, once we get AI bred, those cows all go to, to range in the summer and then they spend most of the winter on corn stalks. So, um, and then they come to the farm for calving and breeding, but, uh, 
I wish we had three sections out the back door. We don't, but you know, you just work with what, what God gave you and what, you know, and, um, I, you know, we talk about it a lot. We'd rather we were in Nebraska and, and, um, for several reasons other than the taxes, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, we, it's where we're at and it's what we were given and this is what we're going to work with. So, um, but David, on, on the other side of that, we sell 90% of our bulls in Nebraska. So, um, we just, we go North and East with our product and, and that's where our customers are. Well, your sales in North Platte. Right. Yep. Yeah, at North Platte at, at the fairgrounds there. And that's a neat facility. Everything's under a roof. So, um, we've delayed the sale a couple hours for bad weather events, but we've never knock on wood have not had a sale rescheduling. Uh, Cause usually we kind of wait, wait out some weather and everything's under, under a roof. It's kind of nice. So how many head of cattle yet spread out over two states? We'll have 200 cows in a year, and that includes the springs and falls. And is that all seed stock? Yeah, we we do a lot more of our own recips anymore. Um, Angus cows that, oh, you know, get get pushed back to the recip program, and then we've been adding, oh, you know, a few more commercial cows, you know, just to do our own recips and and um, used to do a few clubbies and crossbreds, and we're kind of getting that weeded out. How many cows do you flush a year? Well, what we do is we don't, we're not big fans of IVF. Now, Austin will on maybe a show cow or two because he's really trying to just use female semen there, but at the most three, four, and we typically do an early April flush. And then we try to do everything a month later or three, you know, three weeks later. So, um, we'll, we'll set up our embryologist. So they come that was, I think that's right. That three weeks apart. So if we get reruns on our, on our first round of recepts, we'll use them again. And, and, um, we, we work pretty hard and we do, we kind of put a lot of intense management into that time of year. Um, this year wasn't as good, but, uh, the last couple of years were 80% on fresh embryos. Wow. That's good. And we'll be, we'll be 85, 90, 95% on AI, you know, just, um, and so, um, yeah. That, so I'm actually setting up, I got a couple of straggler cows right now. I'm doing, getting through my AI. I fall out now. Um, what is your protocol for AI? What do you use for a protocol? A lot of heat checking. Um, we, we don't do a lot of synchronization. Um, we'll synchronize those recepts. And so we have, you know, big run and that'll be 30, 40 head, you know, of our own cows that we use for recepts for those two different runs there. Um, the heifers will do some, not a lot. We tend to use maybe a prostaglandin just later, you know, and try to catch the ones that we've missed. But I don't know, David, it, uh, Sometimes I wonder, but, uh, the reason that we do that, you know, and, and how we make those decisions is okay. For a lot of years, an AI bull would average three, $4,000. And then we try to sell a bull out of the cleanup bull. And we, we've bought in a few nice cleanup bulls over the years, but we usually don't spend a lot of money on bull power. 
And so those bulls, one, they're younger, but two, they're out of, not out of an AI sire. And so they're $1,500, $2,000 less. And um, it was like, okay, we need to AI and we need AI well, and we need more early calves and we need more calves out of AI sires. And so we've, I mean, we're just, I mean, I'd put Tina up against anybody in terms of cow behavior, you know, heat checking. It's, uh, that's a big part of it is just watching and knowing those cows and what they're going to do. It's not for everybody. It's a different program. Do you guys patch them at all or use? Yeah. Use yeah. Out? We'll use yeah. the Astrotex. You bet. Now, yeah. Those things are game changer. I even use mine to identify a newborn calf. I don't, I don't take my calves. I write, I scratch them like a lottery ticket, you know, I put their number, slap it on the back and then. And then I, I'll maybe get them after that thing falls off. I'll burn him in and then take them. We do that too when it's cold. Now, uh, one one word of advice: don't. The first year we did that, we'd scratch the na- the number into that tag and then put it on their forehead. Oh. Okay. Well, when the calf goes to nurse, and then the yeah, cow notices something, they lick that <laughs> off, and so <laughs> yeah. So we put it back up on their shoulder on their top now. Yeah, yeah I slap it right in the middle of the back. Yes. Yeah, that's a better spot. Yep. The first thought is, oh yeah, let's just put it right on the forehead. No, wrong. That's the worst spot to put it. I don't actually do a full sink unit either, anymore either. I just give them all a shot of estimate, bring them all in one day, give them all a shot of estimate, and you'll basically almost half of them will come and eat within the next three days because you know they're they're within their their cycle period, and then you then you, you hatch them up. You know the other half aren't coming in for another ten days, and then. We just do natural heats right off that. Yeah, it's a person could save a fair amount of money, a lot of trips to the shoot. You know, if you've got the time and you can get, you know, that, you know, say is 936 comes in the heat that evening, you know that the next morning that, hey, we got to get her in. And, you know, if labor and facilities warrant it, it's it's the way to go. I I think just especially for higher percentages. You bet. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break right there, and then we'll come back, and we're going to talk about some of your cows. If you're a producer in West Tennessee and Western Kentucky, we finally have a Vilex dealer. A friend and guest of the show, Patterson Freeman at McWhorter Farms, is an authorized dealer. My favorite Vilex tubs are the IGR and Clarifly tubs I use in the summer and their high meg tub for early spring. Give Patterson Freeman a call at 731-499-2652. To get the best feed tub available, in my not so humble opinion. Once again, the number to call is 731 499 2652. All right, we're back with Brent Bieselmauer from Vision Angus in Amherst, Colorado. Hey, Brett, what qualifies one of your cows to be, to be a donor in your program? Um, probably. Uh, a lot of debate between Tina and I, <laughs> a lot of discussion in terms of. Who warrants the, to get that uh, award? I suppose that's what that is. But, um, oh, David, we, we try to make sure they're at least, you know, got their third calf. Uh, doesn't mean we haven't done some that have had a second calf, but it's a lot of, of the balance and it's the balance that we look at here, you know, in terms of everything and. Is she the right kind visually or phenotypically? 
And then numbers wise, I mean, we sell, you know, our bulls go to a lot of commercial cattlemen in Nebraska that are maybe a little more in the Platte Valley. A lot of them are farmers and cattlemen. And, and so their biggest priority is, is pounds and performance. Um, and I would say 99% of them are keeping females, you know, and so the maternal traits are really, really important to us. Um, you know, and so we're going to look at her production record. We're going to see what she's produced in terms of progeny. And is it the right kind, the right type, you know, and then we'll take a look at her EPDs and, and sometimes, you know, if we've got a deficiency or a hole, so to speak, you know, that might be where we maybe on the, the sire, try to correct that a little bit. What is a hole for you in EPD? You know, it's actually just kind of below average because we don't get excited about extreme numbers. Um, you know, at Marvin is probably the one that comes to mind where, okay. uh, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 IMF EPD does not, you know, and it doesn't hurt the marketability of our cattle to our co commercial guys, you know, and, and when we're making these decisions, David, on, on mating AI ET, we don't think about will this be a seed stock or the, will this be a rare, you know, unique individual that we can market? It, it's, this is what our bull customers need. This is what our bull customers want. And that's where we make those decisions. Nice. Well, I know that you went out, you got yourself a Brookdale Jody, added that to the cow herd. Let's talk about your cow herd. You got some good ones. Well, we're, it's, we're, we like where we're going. And, and the story that I, you know, how we got to where we're at is always the question everybody wants to know. And, and so you go back in the nineties when we were in grad school and before we, I had cows, you know, and they were mostly club calf and crossbred and, and I leased them out when I was in college. And so the reason we did more of the crossbred stuff was because the guys that we worked with, that was their focus, even though we had a pretty nice little set of Angus cows. And so we decided, you know, we wanted to try to get a little better handle on the genetics there and keep them more Angus. And so at that time, this would be early nineties. So you go back to that's when the carcass push hit. And so Bill Meese was a professor at Texas A&M. That's like, that's in the day when Gary Smith was at CSU and and then the last two days, Austin and I have been at the range beef cow symposium. And one, one part of that was a beef quality audit. Well, that first beef quality audit came out in 1991. And I remember that very well in terms of what we learned and what came around, you know, through that. And I'll have to come back to that, David. I got a funny one for, for you here in a little bit, but the, you know, the focus was on the end product because it hadn't been there in the cattle industry for especially the seed stock. And so reading as in beef magazine or whatever, and Bill Meese from Texas A&M said that, that producers need to have emphasis beyond their gate. And so it was like, Hey, let's, that, that sounds like a pretty good slogan. And so, with, um, so we kind of ran with that one. And of course, Wieselmeyer Angus would be atrocious to do anything with. So we, we created vision Angus and we, we started out with, with kind of a little more of that carcass emphasis. Well, after you go along for so many years and you get to know people that are coming and liking your cattle and, 
and you start studying their program, especially in Western and central Nebraska, it's the cow that determines their profitability more than anything. Those cows have got to stay in their program longer. A lot of data, you know, going back to Harlan Hughes from Beef Magazine and, and everything in terms of the, you know, the, those cows don't break even until they're like six years old. And, you know, just when you study that and then you look at, at the focus of those guys, our focus changed and we went more to a balanced trait selection. We went more to emphasis on the female in terms of her type, her kind. And uh, of course this was pre dollar M days and all those EPDs, but, uh, more emphasis on, on what, what those guys wanted for females. What is their tapping game? Well, you know, they're going to be stout and they're going to be wide. They're going to be easy keeping, uh, functional. Um, and you know, if you sat in a sale barn any day, you're going to realize that 99% of the reason that some feeder cattle sell more than others is because of how they look. And, yeah, and it's, yeah, you know, and it's not just the type and kind of the calf, you know, some of it's the condition, the, the fat cover on them and, you know, the weighing conditions and all that, you know, and that's a whole nother ball game, but that has not changed. You know, you go back 20 years, 30 years ago and yeah, there's a lot of programs that have tried to come along and there's better programs now. And there's probably more cattle in those programs now than there was then, but the vast majority of those calves and a lot of these guys don't want to sell privately. They want to go through some kind of auction format via, and we have a lot more guys going on the videos. Now they'll sell like their best cut of steer calves early. And then they'll sell the small calves later through the sale barn. And then if they sell, you know, a set of the heifers after they sort, they'll usually go through the sale barn too. That has not changed and you're, it's not going to change. I don't see, there might be some tweaking of that. You know, some guys will try different things, but you know, so, so you look at what, how those guys function, what makes them money. What do they have time for? What do they not have time for is the bigger thing nowadays. And then how do they sell their feeder cattle? That's how we make our decisions is based on that model of our commercial guys in their, their operations. What's our ideal for frame size? Um, we've gone, so we used to, we used to be pretty big. And then I realized that, that, uh, we needed to back off. And so. Uh, Tina and I wrestle with that a little bit. She likes a little bigger cow than I do. And, and, um, so we've, you know, I don't know, it's that frame score thing's hard, David, you know, unless you have your stick out a lot, but you know, um, the cows weigh as much as they used to, but they're, they're lower profile, they're wider, they're stouter. You know, I'm sure they're, we've got some five frames and I'm sure we have some six frames, you know, and what, what's the average weight? What do you think the average weight for mature cows? Well, you know, looking at, at our sale barn receipts and a lot of times on our coals, I mean, our average cows are going to be 14 plus and, but they're a pretty good rig too. I mean, and, and a lot of times when we have opens, we're going to feed them for a while and we usually go direct to Gibbon right to the cow plant is usually what we do. And so, so a lot of our cows are 14, 15, 1600 pounds when they go to the go to the cow plant. Hey, you keep bringing Tina up. Did she come with any cows when you got married? No, 
No, well, we, yeah, I guess we did. We did go back and we got a few out of, out of her, her family's deal. And, uh, I think there might be one or two cow families that still go back there. I, I'd have to do some digging. For uh, a big, yeah. yeah, it wasn't very many, but, uh, I, I should probably look that up and give her some credit for that. Shouldn't I? The dowry is kind of small. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so uh, talk about some of your donor cows. What you got in so, this kit? Yeah, the. The, the, the cow family that's really worked well for us is the evergreens. And so when the Osmond, Mike and Darla Osmond, and I, Mike has a brother, I can't remember his name, they dispersed back, oh, it, this would be late 90s or early 2000s. And I think we were just about home or maybe we were here. So it's been, you know, 20, 15, 18 years ago. And, and that's Osmond's in Mission, South Dakota. And they had a lot of products or a lot of, progeny and genetics from Judd Baldridge or, and, um, but anyway, so I went up there and, and I think I got six cows out of that dispersal and, and the, the Leachman right time cow that we got out of that, she actually just went away a year and a half ago. She was 16 when we had to finally sell her, but the, we bought a, a cow that was evergreen five, two, nine was her number. I should probably pull her up, but here about two years ago, when Tina was making the sale catalog, she came to me and she said, guess how many of our cows go back to 529? And it was well over a quarter of, of our cows went wow. back to that cow. And I'm pulling her up here now. But um, she was a Bennett Coalition and then Whitestone Precision, but you go down to the bottom side, it was a, it was a mistraveler cow family. And I don't know how they got it changed around to evergreen, but that's what we've left it there. But, um, you know, there's 1148 EXT Bando are all down in that pedigree or Russ. I see Russ in there as well. And she was a little higher birth weight cow, but really stout and really prolific. And so that first flush to density, I think we had about 12 daughters running around for a lot of years out of that flush. It was really good. And so a lot of the cows that we work with, wise tend to go back to her. Um, and part of that, David, is they just, the phenotypes there, the stoutness and the mass and the muscle, but yet the really good foot, utter quality is really good. And they've been prolific and fertile. Do you produce any shell cattle? Yeah. Yeah, we do. And, and Austin, we've kind of let him do that a little bit more. Uh, I mean, that's what he enjoys and we can't take that away from him, but we've had good success. We've had, uh, you know, cows that we've brought in from, uh, Kate's and, um, Sullivan's and I got to think back to others that have come in from different places. We had a seldom rest Sandy cow for a while and, um, you know, and, and so a couple of them have worked well and some of them haven't worked so good, but, uh, it's been fun. We've got a bull in Griswold's lineup now called Dr. Phil and, uh, he, hey, you're, you're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead here. We did the bulls <laughs> later on. Okay. Hey, so for, for knuckleheads like me, who the show world has never been our world. I never even showed cattle when I was a kid. Um, Tell us what the, what is, what defines a show cow versus a production cow? What's, what's the difference? Well, anymore, 
as critical as I am of them, not as much as what there used to be because if they don't have good feet and they don't have a good udder and they don't breed, you know, they don't stay around. And, and, um, and so that's weeded some of them out. Is it a higher weeding rate than the others? I don't know, not necessarily, but it, I, I struggle with that, David, because I remember here going to, you know, a show a couple of years ago and, and a lot of the judges are really young guys that tend to just be show cattle oriented. And so they're going to be so front end conscious. And I, that's what I struggle with. And that's probably where I, old dad will kind of back up and just crawl back into his hole and, and let Austin and Tina kind of pick and decide what they want to do there. That, that is a frustrating part for me is that I don't, I would like to see some more chest and some more body, you know, some more function into those cattle and, and not just so much front end, front end, front end. And, and I don't think it's really changed much. Um, what do you mean by front end? Are we, are we well, talking about this, is the show world put a little more base wick in, the, in that front and you know, a little more chest blower? Well, like I said, dad's kind of crawled back into his hole a little bit. So I have not watched as much here in the last few years, but you know, there was a lot of discussion here three, four years ago that we were getting them to look like dairy cows, you know, in terms of the show bred cattle, really, really that neck and into that shoulder and how that's put together and then a flatter shoulder, you know, and then, uh, and almost like the show pigs where you've got a tidier chest, a little more shallow chest, and then come back to a bigger sweeping rib cage. Well, that's hard to do in terms of putting some fleshing ability and some doability into them when you've taken the chest structure, narrow that down, squeeze it down, and then try to put a belly behind them. That doesn't always go together. Um, you know, the belly and the body and the mass that comes behind that chest floor is usually a function of that front end. But so that I'll get off of that because that's been a little bit of a qual to me, but, um, you know, that, that isn't the important thing you know you can i think we could talk about that a lot david but the reason you do show cattle is to raise young people Aubrey, and and i don't care what you use you know what kind and type and what you how you want to breed and what you want to do with it so be it you know and you're going to get some judges that you'll never get along with. And there's some judges that, you know, and, and, and so despite my opinions there and where I think the problems are in that industry, it doesn't matter because that is a tool that you can use to build your family, teach your kids, have family time, do family things together teach them animal husbandry. You can teach them economics. I mean, sometimes that's not very good in that regard, but that's the site that we, we lose in, in, you know, and we get into these discussions of all oh, that's showbread stuff. Well, so be it, you know, and, and there's, there's, there's a wide diversity of cattle in our breed and in our industry. And that's the great thing about America and our world is you can do what you want, you know, in that regard. But when we get the bash and show cattle where we talk things about that, we lose sight of the fact that that is as good a kid 
family development program as can be if you do it right. You can screw, you know, just like anything, you can screw it up. But, but um, that's what we lose sight of. And I think that's, a, that's a, a sad thing is that we don't focus on that more. Sewing cattle is a phenomenal thing for the kids. Um, it helps them learn responsibility, how to care for something other than themselves. I'm going to do a little bragging here. I haven't actually put this on any of these podcasts. My middle daughter, her name is Briley. She's 19 now, and she, she's in college out in Washington. I can't remember how many times she won because we you know, have too many trophies, too many belt buckles, too many years now gone by. But she had, in one, there was one year, I think it was 2019, my daughter won the showmanship in FFA and 4-H in the state of Washington, won the 4-H in Oregon, and then won the Western National as showman. That kid, every year, fair time, oh man, it was, it was amazing. She just loved going to the fairs. By the time we got to the end of the week, she was exhausted, probably slept for two straight days afterwards. But that yeah. kid, um... The responsibilities that she would take on during those weeks was amazing. We make fun of these current generations coming up, but when those kids have a great background like she had, where she got to do things on her own, because I, I can't go out there and help her with that gal. She's on her own in that moment. Now she works and she works well and, and no one has to babysit her. I, I think for children raising cattle, it doesn't matter if you win. It's just the whole experience. You're right. And congratulations to you as a, as a parent for doing that. And, and I, I know we were always had more pride, you know, when we were more successful in the showmanship competition, you know, because that was the kid and that was the family, you know, versus the animal. And, and that, I think that's, that's really, really important. Yes. I also have to know that this wasn't on beef side. She showed dairy. Okay, cool. Even yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. She, she did, she did extremely well out there. I think, I think she won both states three out of four years there through high school. Wow, that's good. Your production sale, you get the 26th annual, is it 26th annual 26th production sale? Yeah, I know. Well, at both, both. Okay, yeah, both. We've, uh, yeah, we, uh, when we were at Maywood Curtis area, that's between North Platte and McCook, those first couple of years, we didn't really have much of a building. And so we pitched a tent. And so that's our, our funny history is those first couple of years we rented a tent and had our sale in and, and about broke, broke us to that. But, but we, we have a handful of customers and an Austin ran across one the other day that he's out of the cows, but he was telling Austin stories about coming down there and going in the tent for those first couple of sales with us. And, and, um, yeah, we have it in particular two families and, and you get to like the second or third sale, then you add about another three or four families or, you know, cattlemen that have been with us since then. And, and that's always fun to talk about those days. You offer bulls and females in your sale? Yes. Yes. Um, we, we've had heifers and that's a little bit of a arm wrestling program around here is that, uh, Tina always thinks we need to put some heifers in there and help pay the bills and, and, and we need more bulls in our program. Um, I don't think we have quite enough for the demand we have. Um, we've really changed in terms of how we market and what we do, um, because we don't have as many bulls. We've only had, you know, that 60 ish, 60 to 70 head. So this year we're still in undecided, but we'll have that 60 to 70 head of bulls. And then 
either we'll put in some heifers or uh, Matt Lowry, our auctioneer would like us to put in some late, late bred cows. And, uh, that's probably the direction we're going to go is bring some of those later bred cows and our sales the first part of March. And so a late bred to us is March. And so it's, it's a little difficult there in terms of getting them to the sale and okay. being close to calving. Yeah. It's probably too early to even identify any winner so far, right? You got any bulls that you think are just shooting them? Oh yeah. We, we pretty excited about a few head, um, you know, and the genomics are in and of course that's some of the frustration of our current state of the world is that, you know, we still got weights and ultrasound to do and, um, you know, we'll see how those data impact things. But right now, going back to that evergreen cow family, um, we've got, he is, uh, an Ellingson, um, deep river. And then she is a pay weight plus daughter out of one of those density daughters back to the old five, two, nine cow. And he, uh, he's part of our Denver pen. He's not maybe as straight in his lines and smooth put together, but the performance and the mass is there. And he's a bull right now that we think we need to use. Um, and, and we like using our own bulls. I think we just feel more confident, more predictable there. Well, um, it's proof of a program, honestly. When you see people starting to use their own bulls, start seeing that on the top and the bottom line. It's proof that of a program that they believe yeah, what they're doing. No, I, we would agree. So he, he stands out right now. And on the Cavanese side, I'm not sure. Um, I'd have to go through that a little bit more. Um, we use some Coleman Glacier. And we've got, um, couple, couple, there'll be one of those that goes to Denver. He's not as good in his EPD package, but, uh, there's a couple others that won't go to Denver that are pretty good standouts that, uh, I was surprised Glacier brought a lot of performance here. Um, are they the highest performing? No, but they're not small. I mean, there's, they're, they're going to be really saleable cattle and there, there's a lot to them. All right, well, let's take a break right there. We'll come back and we're going to do my favorite part. We're going to talk about some bulls. Own livestock? Eventually, you will own dead stock. You insure your farm, equipment, and vehicles for financial loss, and you can insure your cattle as well. With Creek Insurance, you can insure your whole herd or individual animals. Call 360-266-8000 for a no-hassle quote or go to insuremybull.com to start your own mortality policy. Don't allow dead stock to become a financial burden. Go to insuremybull.com and get your cattle insured. All right, we're back with Brent Wiesemeyer from Vision Angus. We're going to talk about some bulls. If you've heard this program before, Brent, we go into some of the bulls that you've used, and with you, we're going to obviously talk about some of the bulls you've produced. You ready? Yep, let's go for it. I only jumped into the last two production sales for you, so we're not going, we're not going back 25 years. These next three are going to be pretty close together. Can only say the range length. The, the, the phenotype there is, is the right kind for what we're doing. And I mean, the bred heifers look really, really nice. Um, the length, the right kind of rib shape, uh, you know, the right kind of femininity, anxious to get them calved out. Um, you know, that we like to be straightforward. I was, and you never know, it's hard to put a finger on things, but we did not get maybe as good a AI or a pregnancy rate 
on those daughters last year is what I was hoping. Um, and you, you, you know, it's an, is it an anomaly? It's hard to say, but we'll see again, you know, we used him again, but, uh, um, those are calves that early on, you're not going to like, they're pretty stringy. Uh, you know, they're long and not a lot to them. And so even though they call him a heifer bull, we had a little more birth weight there. We have not used him on heifers that much, but the calf shape at birth is right. And so then you get a little flatter, stringier looking calf for quite a few months and you're not going to be in too impressed, but um, boy, our commercial customers loved him last year. And he goes back to Rainmaker. Yeah. Way back to Rainmaker. Yes. And we've been pulling a lot of 4404 in here and I'm not as good a student of pedigrees and things to go back even further than that. But, you know, years ago, Tina and I saw 4404 at Billings and liked him. Just didn't know if there was enough performance there to bring him in very much. We did a little bit, but now what we're trying to do is, uh, like we bought a, a Linsco Thiel bull last year and he's out of one of Brent Thiel's better 4404 daughters that he likes to show people, you know, finding places to put that bull in that pedigree, you know, and bring him in now. Um, and I might've learned that from David Brown and Joe, Joe Fisher a little bit in terms of layering those bulls in, in the pedigrees, we'll give them a little credit there, but, uh. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do is kind of bring those maternal traits in there. Before we jump to the next bull, one thing that I like about your catalog, it gives you in a, a vision of your program too. You got these bulls grouped in your catalog with, you know, seven or eight songs. I I appreciate seeing that in the catalog, the way you set that out. And also it kind of shows that you have a, a distinct direction that you're going. You, you don't have a hundred bulls crossed over 200 cows. Well, thanks. And we listen to customers. And when I talk to customers pre-sale and how we, those conversations go dictates how our catalog has been. And, and Tina and I will get really frustrated on a bull sale catalog that is by tattoo, random order. I don't know how some of those guys catalog them, you know, and and you don't have sire groups together. You don't see a plan or a direction. And I quit looking at it because I don't learn anything. Now, yes, the commercial cattlemen will find the better ones. And case in point, a couple of days ago, week ago, there was a sale in Wyoming. The next to last bull through the ring brought 22,000, you know, it was a high seller. And he was the next to last catalog, next to last in the ring. They, but you know, so yeah, they they'll find them, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell people about your program and, and how you lay things out in your book and, and what you do there and the story you tell. That's really important to us. Yes. All right. Ellison, three rivers. Well, we, we used a little bit of three rivers. We've used a lot more deep river. And, and so when you look at the cow side of deep river, um, he is out of that Copal Advance 28 daughter. And there was a, a three-quarter brother to Deep River that uh, had, and we debated between him and, and this one. And, and there's demand from our customers for big stout bulls. And those cattle will bring that. But yet with 
I mean, we've got along really good with Copal 28 or Advanced 28. And um, you're going to find that in a lot of our pedigrees. And so that's a bull, David, that we're layering in those pedigrees back a generation or two, um, just like we talked about with 4404. So go back to the, the, the LT bull that we bought last spring. Um, he's got uh, Advanced 28 two places in his pedigree and that, that bull just fits, you know, in terms of what we're trying to do and layer, layer those proven predictable maternal type bulls in there, but yet we have enough performance. Have you noticed that through yours throws a lot of athleticism and some muscle definition? Yes. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. And, and those cattle keep growing, you know, I, uh, so the, we didn't use as much three rivers. We've used more deep river and especially in this year's calf crop, we don't have any three rivers. They're all deep rivers. Um, they're, they're a longer growth curve. And so when you get to yearling weight and sale time, those cattle continue to change and they're a little, you know, you, you know how it is after weaning, you kind of get going and you, oh man, that, that bull just looks so cool. And he's, yeah. he's the deal. Well, those cattle continue to change and some of them you like, some of them might get a little too big. I, so I, I know we've learned how to use him better. Uh, we've gone to, um, using him more on the, on the smaller, more moderate cows. Um, and I, I'd have to look at the EPD profile as to how we've managed that, but, uh, they, they, they have a longer growth curve, I think, at least in our program. All right. One that's sprinkled throughout the catalogs, pay weight plus. Yeah, you know, we didn't use a lot of pay weight and we've always tended to be a step behind on popular bulls. And so I don't know if this is good or bad, but, uh, you know, we tend to use sons of bulls that have been more popular and pay weight plus has been one of those, but plus brought and Bobby Strecker was the one that, you know, when w discussions I had with him about pay weight sons and pay weight himself plus brings a better look a longer front end more female oriented female you know more maternal um and then the feet have been pretty good for us uh they've he's done well he's done really really good for us all right the next one i want you to talk about but i don't want you to talk about the judgment bowl i want to save him but talk about atlantis and true north and on the v you have used both of them. Yeah. And, and I don't think we used them the same, um, based on, you know, experience and what we had seen and what we had talked to people, we've probably used Atlantis more as a maternal sire, a balanced trait sire. Um, and that's what he delivered. I mean, we had one customer from Kansas come in last year and, and, um, they bought four Atlantis sons, you know, and I, I remember they didn't come to the sale, but I combed through those bulls for them. And, you know, I mean, we talked and feet this and type that and everything. And, and they needed to do some fixing in terms of maternal at, at their program. And this is just the example of what Alanis does, I think, is bring a really solid, balanced, maternal oriented bull that's got plenty of body and muscle shape. And there's enough pounds there you know, from a pay weight standpoint. Now, True North, on the other hand, um, those cattle will genomic better, you know, they'll test better. 
um, DNA wise. And so, um, we've used him a little bit more as a calving ease situation. And, and then also, you know, maybe where we needed to fix EPDs in a few places, I say fix EPDs, but highlight that a little bit more, or bring somebody up to speed. And, you know, and so I'll give Brian Stoller at Bear Mountain a little credit where, you know, that was probably the, his North Star Bull, which is a true North sun was we used him the heaviest here for our fall calvers this year in December. Now this next bull, I've noticed he's getting more, he's, get, he's getting some momentum going on. I'm seeing him showing up more and more programs and that's Myers Karen Square. Oh, uh, I, the, the longer we've had him now, we don't have any wet daughters yet. Um, but really liking that. And let me back up. I would say, okay, so the reason I use that bull was because uh, not only did the ST guys recommend him to me, but you get to study on the Myers program. And I don't know those folks, but then it's out there in terms of, okay, the cow, the grand dam and their performance records, and they've got videos, they've got pictures. And so those are cattle in Kentucky that I, in Colorado, can learn about. And that's what I like on an AI sire is being able to look at pictures or video of the mother and have find those production records on that dam and that grand dam. And then it just having more confidence in the program and in the bull. And so that's where we tied into him was because of those things. And the bull, the bull sold well. He has not been a, a great calving ease bull for us. Um, and I don't know, um, why or how we made it aim. And so we've kind of, we've not tried to use him as a calving ease sire, but the bread heifers are a hundred percent bred, hundred percent pregnant. They look good, really excited to calve them out. Um, got a really good set of bull calves and yearling heifers on the ground again, used him. So we'll calve more babies out this year. I, I think that bull's just solid. Are you going to keep going with You know, that's a hard part because you think, you know, a lot of times we try to use a bull two years in a row for sure. And then if we like the bull, we'll go three years. And then, uh, so those are good. That'd be a good discussion someday with a lot of astute breeders and smart guys, smarter guys than us, David is, you know, how many years do you use a bull? Where do you, how does your direction go the third year that you use him versus the first year that you use him? And, and I think those are questions that, that we'll talk about here is, okay, what has he done for us? What does he do well? And where do we still need him or do we not need him? And I would say that bull is probably one that you could use based on need. And, and I mean, I, I think it's, I think he's going to be a, a really, really good solid bull that we're going to have a lot of respect for, for a lot of years. I think on, on most sires, you're going to end up having too many sons for your commercial market. Yes. Right? That's a, you, that's the question. Yes. Your commercial buyers, usually looking, he's coming back in three years and he's not looking for another one of love. And I think for like this fair and square bull, cool part is he has female semen. So if you just going to flush and you just need, you just want more daughters, you're not, you don't need to sell them. He might be an ideal bull to just keep using, you know, year after year after year. And the whole problem is in our industry is, well, is he keep up because there is a, a little bit of a problem with the, the way the association does the numbers. And we just keep going along, the numbers just keep escalating. 
I don't know if anybody listens to this from the association, but we need to have a reset one of these days on these numbers. <laughs> How does this accomplish? Um, we've had mixed results w- with accomplishment. Um, the bulls are really easy to sell. They're stout, a lot of shape to them, a lot of length, you know, and, and the maternal numbers in there are, are good, you know, for the, our guys that are keeping heifers and selling feeder calves. Um, we've had a little bit of mixed reaction or mixed results on the females in our program fertility wise. And, you know, and you can never, I mean, that's one thing about cattle and especially in Northeast Colorado environment, David, when something goes awry and you, it's hard to put a finger on it. And you don't know if it's always this particular bull or if it's this particular feed or whatever. And that discussion is going on now in this part of the country about Craig results on commercial cow herds. And they're, um, a lot of them are in the teens, 15, 18% open. And so ever there's discussion, been a lot on Facebook here lately in terms of, okay, is it weather? Is it environment? Is it, uh, are we getting these cows too jacked up, you know, to where they can't put up with the, the environment that is getting dealt to them? A lot of discussion there, you know, and, and, and so I, that's a bull. I mean, we've got a lot of, a lot of calves on the ground or yearlings coming yearlings. And I, I still like them. I really like how they're made. The few daughters that we did calve out worked out great. Um, but it, a little bit of variability there on the females. And I don't know what the, what the issue is there. Plus Maverick. Oh, you know, this is a couple of years ago. You should have warned me about this one. You're not, uh, you know, and as an Angus breeder, I, you know, marbling, what do you do with marbling and carcass traits? Okay. So do you need to continue to push the bar higher to keep up with others or is there enough there because we're Angus cattle and, and I've got arguments that, okay, so we, we picked up beef the other day and we're selling more and more freezer beef and it's one of Austin showbread critters and it was a dang male, you know, so it's a steer and we did not do the genomics on him. And so I don't have the numbers and the cow never got transferred. So we were I don't have a great story here, but the marbling in that critter is really good. And they had those, uh, their half of that beef vacuum pack so we could see. And, and the other stuff was all paper wrapped. And it was like, holy cow, this is some really, really good marbling on a showbread steer. And a lot of how we manage cattle will determine how they're going to grade and how they're going to perform. And you go to a feedlot situation. And implants, time on feed, growing program, there is so much that can be done to manipulate, I don't say manipulate, but to enhance, change how those cattle grade, not just quality grade, but yield grade. And, and I think we get so caught up in, in carcass EPDs and, and so Maverick was a bull that was a pay weight son that. You know, we thought, okay, we needed to bring in pay weight genetics and, and, um, we used him and, and there's a couple pretty nice daughters out here, boy, they're big middle wide cattle. Um, 
you know, feet and utter quality isn't maybe like what we'd like, but, uh, what we've got left is, has done well for us. So that that's a bull though, that brings up that discussion is okay. How much as a breeder, do you need to focus on carcass? I don't know. You know, it, it, it depends. I think and, it depends on your commercial client, your commercial customer. Yeah. Are they it, take, are they, are they taking them all the way finish or their weaning program is sale barn. Those, those guys don't, they don't need the two, you know, 2.03 IMF, any pounds on the ground. They need, yes. like you say, they, they need that phenotype where when they drop their, their calves off at that sale barn, they look good. They look the part because they're not running out there with an ultrasound machine before they start bidding on these things. Right. And, and, and I just pulled it up, David. So last two days, Austin and I are at the range beef cow symposium in, in uh, Loveland, Colorado. And, and here's a chart, um, changes in us prime choice over time. And so 1995 to 2022, we are linear on prime and choice. And we go from 49% prime choice in 95 to 76% prime choice in 2022. You know, how much is enough? Um, is that across all breeds? Yeah, that's, that's industry wide. So that's actually pretty impressive if you're doing it across all breeds. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, you know, and I remember in the early two thousands, you know, we'd get some carcass data from a, a customer and if they were 60, 70% choice or whatever, you know, we'd get excited and, and look at, you know, okay, that, you know, how, how'd they do on premiums? Well, if you're not 60% choice now with black hided good bred cattle, you're doing something wrong, you know? And so, you know, and I don't know as much about the demand, you know, if, and I think the demand has kept pace with what we're producing or, you know, so hand in hand there, it's not, I I don't know that it needs to be a big focus and just going back to just what you said, it depends on what your commercial customers need and want and what their program is. I honestly don't think choice is what choice used to be. Um, picking up choice from, you know, butcher or the grocery store. It doesn't seem like it's the same choice that you had in, two, in 1995. That question came across my mind yesterday as we were coming home. Because I remember going, and we spent a lot of time in packing plants in the 90s. As a grad student, and then getting data, um, I didn't know how deep you'd go on bulls, but back to Stockman 365, you know, oh. and when we did some some actual test or uh structured carcass test programs then you know and, and so there was about five packing plants that in nebraska and this area that i could just waltz right into that you know i'd been in i knew how to get around in the plant and just had to call so and so and and i'd go and 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 uh, they wouldn't know me from adam now and but uh but um kind of lost track there where where we were going but that was a you know, a big deal back then. And I think we've made a lot of progress, but there always comes a point where, well, here's the analogy I use. So I'm a farmer too. We got a little 16 foot disc out here that, that I used when I was a kid and it was on like a 150 horsepower tractor, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and these tractors get bigger and stouter. And so I could take a 304 horsepower tractor and put on that 16 foot disc. And, and it's almost like we're trying to do that in the beef industry sometimes where 
how much is enough, you know, how much is too much where we're hurting other traits. And we don't know that a lot of times. So we don't know that until it's five, 10 years down the road. Well, what I was saying about choice is I, I don't think choice is as good as what choice was 20 years ago. That the product that's being provided and being, being called choice, I don't know if there was a change in that grade window. But when you say, well, there, you know, a higher percentage of grading choice, I don't think the curve is the same. Uh, yes, sense? I would agree. And, and that's, yes, I, that's what I was thinking of. I'm sorry I got off track there, but um, it's still subjective. And I can remember going into a lot of those plants and, and those graders would have their picture cards, you know, to kind of help them get adjusted for that day. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of things have changed technology and everything, but, but, um, you can't help, but wonder everything migrates, you know, everything kind of changes. And so we, what, what is standard now that was standard in 1990 is not the same. And, and I would agree. I, it's gotta have changed there marbling wise too. All right, let's get back to the bulls. We're going to, now we'll talk about Montana and judgment. This is a lot of new, fairly new purchase for you. From Montana Ranch, David Brown. Yes, uh, we are excited about that bull. Um, there's a lot of things there that I, you know, and and hope we don't eat crow in five to ten years. That's what you got to do. You got to go for it. But Phenable continues, and he did run here this summer. You know, as a two year old, and it was hot, and the flies are bad, and and he did really well, held up really, really good. Um, but the phenotype and the people that keep seeing that bull, and that's one good thing about having Montana Ranch as a partner is that very visible in terms of pictures and Shauna and her Facebook. And then, you know, and that's what's fun about a bull like that. You know, there's a lot of bulls that you only know that bull from one picture over his lifetime. If you want to go back and study judgment here, you're going to find two or three videos and three or four pictures out of him of him, you know, and some of them are working pictures over his, as he's grown here as a, as a three coming four-year-old. I mean, that, that's cool to be able to see that and see how that bull's changed and, and what he's, you know, and, and he spent a year at stud and he came to Northeast Colorado for a summer and for how, how he looks now is phenomenal. And the comments that I heard, you know, this fall, the people that went up there and saw him. So that's one thing. The second calves, calves look great. We've got some fall calves here that look really good. And I think they're going to bring that total package to our customers, David, in terms of some grow and some mass and some body and a really nice balanced DPD package. It's not going to hurt them in any one regard or the other. Well, it looks, like, we, his hair, looks like his hair shade score is uh, perfect for the Southeast down here. Oh yeah. There's a lot of, I don't have him up in front of me, but those EPDs and I, I posted that here last week. Um, there was a, a post that was going around about cow costs. It was a K-State data. Uh, John O'Day shared it, and then I picked it up from there, and it, it spent a lot of time on Facebook last week. How high our cow costs are. And two of the EPDs that we don't draw enough attention to are the, the RAD, D, RADG and the DMI EPDs. And you look at those two EPDs on judgment, they are in perfect balance and combination for efficient cattle. And those are EPDs that don't get any press. No, are they as accurate as others? I don't know. Um, 
based on genomics and how we've derived genomics and, and the data behind them. I mean, I, I don't know as much about that science, but boy, we sure put a lot of faith in PAP genomic or hair shed genomic and, you know, and marbling genomic and different things. And so why not give credit to those efficiency genomics that we don't talk about as much? That's where judgment really shines too. And there's another spot he shines too. T tell us about his dam. Yeah, I think a lot of, you know, listening to those guys on their podcast and, you know, and, and, and how to layer in good cows in a pedigree and, you know, and, and doing that, I, it, it's taught me a lot. And, and that's a lot of what we looked at there for judgment too, is, you know, the dams behind him top and bottom. And, and, um, you know, I, I just think the more predictability that you can put in a pedigree, the more proven numbers, results, hopefully the less risk we have and hopefully the better product that we have, you know, in terms of his progeny. And that that's a lot of why we tied into the bull and why we're really excited about him. What's his franchise? He's a pretty good sized bull. So David calls him a six and a quarter and, you know, David measures everything up there. So give him credit for that, for, um, maybe not being as EPD oriented and measurement oriented, he takes every darn measurement there is. And, um, and, uh, six and a quarter is what, uh, that came up several times and he goes back to whenever he measured him. And that's, that's accurate from the stick. That's pretty big for an Atlantis. So yeah. at least there's, there's a spot for that. And there's a market for that. There's guys like me. I want to keep my six frame. And it's actually kind of important. I, I have heard David on his podcast. Here we are talking about their their podcast. But, you know, I've, I've talked to him where, you know, he gets annoyed that he lost frame size. But for a guy like me, it's important. I need to, I need to keep that six. Cause in this market, that's what they want. They, you, you show up with a five, you got a five out there. They're going to walk right past him. No matter how wide, how, you know, how good he looks, what his efficiency was, they want a six. All right, let's move on to Vision Overdrive. This one you raised. Yeah, that bull's done a lot of good for a lot of Vision Angus customers and, and us too. Um, so for the foundation females foundation sale in Denver, um, there's a fair and square heifer out of an overdrive daughter. And so we get to building the catalog and you start diving through the numbers, the, the performance pedigree on overdrive reads so well. Uh, low birth, I think he's 101 and 102 for weaning and yearling, you know, with a lot of progeny, but his maybe a hundred daughters or I don't know how many daughters there were, but he's like 104 for maternal. Um, those calves come small. They grow as well as anything we've had. And the daughters are really, really doing well. The, the thing there is, you know, he's a 10 speed. And the foot thing, is he perfect footed? No. And is that the thing to manage on him? Yes. But it's, it's, it's too bad, you know, because he's a bull that brings so many things in terms of real world growth and calving ease and maternal strength. And, and then you get one trait in terms of that foot that just makes it hard to move on from him, but I'm sure glad we used him. Now that's a bull we used four or five years, you know, and we've got a lot of daughters and. And man, they're doing a nice job. So next one, let's go Vision Dr. Phil. You, yep. brought him up, you brought him up earlier. 
Yeah. So the, the show side and, and, um, that, that Phyllis cow that we got, and I knew I was forgetting somebody there. So talk the, the cows in the show world and the cow families in the show world, the Phyllis daughters or the Phyllis family at Stur's box in Ohio. Uh, so stag good times is, uh, out of a Phyllis cow. And then Dr. Phil, they're, they're, they share the same grandma back there. And I think that's part of what, part of the reason Griswold's tied into Dr. Phil. Phil brings such a neat package, you know, in terms of a showbread bull. And I've seen his sisters and his brothers, and we've got two or three brothers running around here now. Austin's got one that he's got targeted for the classic in Nebraska, and he'll probably be in Denver on display. Just a really neat look to him, but a big rib and a lot of shape of muscle and, and really functional and really, really good footed. Um, you know, and so from, even though they're showbred and they've got a really cool look to them, I just love the functionality of those cattle. And here's a bull that you've raised, you raised them up, got high use out of them. I think over 5,000 restorations on this bull vision unanimous. Yeah, unanimous was fun. And, you know, a peak dot bought him and that was part of, I mean, they put, they do a good job and, and that probably came, he came into their program when they were really doing a, you know, I mean, how they pictures and how they promoted their cattle, everybody took notice. And, and so we were fortunate there for him to, to, um, kind of hit their program at the right time. And, and they tied into that bull because, you know, the foot quality there is really, really good. And they knew there was a problem coming there. And, um, there's where he's at and the pedigrees and the cows now, I mean, it like, like any bull, you know, there's a sort and, um, there had been a sort there too, but you go back to the, I can't for, I forget her cow family name and her, her number, but that cow at, uh, at Brent Thiel's that uh, is a foundation daughter, you know, and found S foundation. And she goes back to unanimous and there's others around that, um, you know, with him back in that cow family or in that pedigree, a guy feels really good about because the, the functionality is just really, really good with those cattle. All right. Well, let's take a break right there. We'll come back and we're going to talk about what's going on in Denver at the national Western stock show. LRP, Livestock Risk Protection, is a federally sponsored program to protect your cattle investment should prices drop before your cattle get to market. The program allows you to insure feeder and fed cattle. You can call David at Creek Insurance to discuss how to insure your cattle against declining market prices at 360-266-8000. Once again, that's 360-266-8000. All right, we're back with Brent Biesemeyer from Vision Angus. We are going to discuss the National Western Stock Show that's coming up in Denver here at the beginning of the year. Um, we're already there. 2024, 2024 is upon us. All right, Brent, what you got going on in Denver? A lot, a lot. Our show barn area is full. Um, we've got a pen of heifers and a pen of bulls going. We've got a couple heifers for other Northeast Colorado breeders that were taken. But uh, beyond the cattle, I'm part of the, uh, I'm on the Colorado Angus Association Board of Directors. And so 
the story with the National Western, everybody knows about. You have construction, you have COVID, it uh, basically falls apart, and now we're in rebuild. And the story there in terms of rebuild is really fascinating, and it, it is really, really good. And I'm excited to be a part of it because, one, I want to help bring folks back to Denver, not only seed stock but commercial and consumers, the, the, the people of Denver, and then, and then how this thing's evolving. Cause it's going to be a different stock show than what it used to be five, six years ago. And, and, um, and so being on the board, we have the foundation Angus sale it used to be the foundation female sale. Now it's the foundation Angus sale because we will let some bulls in. And when you look at this year's sale, um, the, the foundation lot for the Ang American Angus foundation is a bull that's coming to rent. Um, oh, okay. okay. Yep. So, okay. Let me back up. So, so the foundation, the American Angus foundation lot donation lot in our sale is a bull from Sadler ranches in Oklahoma. And so that, that sales evolved and changed. And part of the reason for that is, uh, Matt. McFarlane and Dave Mullins are spearheading that sale and they have done an amazing job of putting a new, a new look to that sale, a new focus. And so there's about the, the thing with that sale this year, David, is we're going to have two auctions. So the Thursday, the normal sale on Thursday afternoon, we're going to have about 60 lots in there. Matt said the, the catalog, which is getting worked on right now, is about 80 pages. And live lots and flushes and donors and everything. And then Saturday evening, we're going to have a frozen sale that's part of that. And it'll be on Dave Mullen's platform, SaleRing.Live. Or SaleRingLive. Yeah, SaleRingLive. And so more of the frozen genetics, the semen, frozen embryos, some other flushes and so forth will be on that Saturday evening sale. And so watch for those two events. But uh, that sale is catching fire. And we had a lot of, lot of folks that wanted to be a part of that sale this year. And it, it, it's going to be a neat event. So that's on Thursday, the 11th, I believe. And so be a part of that, the Foundation Angus sale there in Denver. And then part of what we're doing with the Colorado Angus board is on Wednesday, there is a commercial heifer sale that ABS has started. They did it last year and it's called the maternal merit sale. And last year at Denver, there was quite a few of us that were visiting and it's like, okay, how do we get more commercial cattlemen back to Denver? What can we do? Well, ABS already started that sale. And so what we have put together this year is basically an educational event um, on Wednesday the 11th. And so starting at 10 o'clock, we've got three different speakers, congestive heart failure, nutrition, and then LRP is livestock risk protection. So as a commercial cattleman, you can take out basically insurance, you know, on your feeder cattle marketing. Yeah, and so I, I guys, know again, it sells that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> yep. And uh, we, might have to, we might have to throw an ad in for that. Just well, for we, I know we go we probably, probably got the wrong speaker, but we, we did get a Colorado flair there for that one. But anyway, so uh, we've got those three speakers. We're going to provide lunch down in the yards next to those commercial heifers. 
uh, from the O'Days there at McCook, Nebraska, are going to come and serve up their Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. We've got time slotted for people to look at the commercial heifers and then go through the pens. And then the maternal merit commercial heifer sale will be, I think it's at three o'clock or in that time frame as well. And um, we're going to squeeze in the Colorado Angus annual meeting will be that morning. And so that Wednesday, a lot of activities. And that's what we're trying to do is, you know, so David, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I am going to my commercial customers, which are mostly in Nebraska, but Western Nebraska and say, hey, come to Denver. I've got this program or we've got this program on Wednesday of educational. Come check out the commercial heifer sale, you know, meet these people. Come look at our cattle in the pens and the yards and, um, you know, and, and come to Denver and see the new facility, um, you know, which is incredible and enjoy the day uh, it, back in Denver and, and see the, the other facility that's getting built right next to the yards, uh, which is going to be incredible as well. And so. We're doing a lot of activities there to try to get folks back to Denver. And, and I mentioned, you know, over the years when we've shown cattle and you have a string on the hill or somewhere and Denver is, I'm going to say the worst, but the best in terms of people that come through. So you'll get, you know, a whole classroom of kids that are tied together on a rope or families that come to the stock show to see the stock show. And and I've shown a lot of different places have been a lot of places and you don't get near the foot traffic that you do in Denver from the city folks. And I'm going to call them consumers now. Okay. So you can look at that two ways. Yeah. It's a pain in the butt. You get a lot of questions. A lot of people want to pet your cow and whatever it may be, but that is really important for us as beef producers to be there, to talk to those people, to be cordial to those people. And, and that, if you go to Denver and you want to be a part of stock show and you want to be part of showing cattle, you need to assume that responsibility to be the best that you can be to help those folks learn and have a good experience. And, and that's part of what we want to do too, by being in Denver. Now the cattle you take, is it all show stray or is some of it production cattle? No, it's the production cattle. Um, Austin's going to take two bulls to display and those two bulls will we'll end up going to Black Hill Stock Show and then the Classic in Kearney, Nebraska. And they're a little more showbred, phenotype bred. And then our pins are, are yep, are going to be more performance. And so our pin and heifers will be uh, two Coleman Glaciers, a Confidence Plus and a Fair and Square. And we're going to offer pick of those heifers in the foundation sale. And right now our pin of bulls is a Fair and Square, a Coleman Glacier, or no, no, three, let me back up three deep rivers and a Coleman glacier okay. or a pen bulls. Yes. Do you get a lot of customers come over and check it out? No, 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 we haven't. Okay. And, and I, that's part of why, I mean, you don't see commercial cattlemen traffic in Denver. And I know the stock show is trying to do some things that first weekend too, but as a breeder, I think that's what we need to do. Um, do I want them to come to Denver and find other bulls to buy or other people to go to? No, but that, that's, you know, that's just part of life. You know, they, they can do that from home. Oh yeah. You can do that anyhow. It's just don't screw up. So you can lose them, you know, but, um, I think that's part of it. We need to, we need to get those folks back to Denver. We need, you know, we need a full circle approach there. And, and that's part of why we're doing a lot of these activities. 
last year was the attendance up in Denver from the year prior? Yes. Oh yeah. Especially in the yards. I don't know attendance on the hill, you know, from foot traffic and, you know, city people. I don't know that number, but here's the example that I'm going to use. So, uh, when I talked to Matt McFarland the other day, he called Levi Landers, regional manager, guru from the stock show or from the American Angus. And, and Levi gave, I think nine of his regional managers, the choice of where they wanted to go. Denver or Oklahoma City. Of those nine, eight voted for Denver, one voted for Oklahoma City. That is just a sign of how things are changing and where the mojo is going and it's going to Denver. Do you think there's space for both of them? For, you mean all those regional managers? No, or, no, no, no. Or what do you no, mean? No, no. Oh, there, for both for shows. Both, I'm both sorry. Shows. Yeah, for both shows. Yes, there is. Yeah, there is. You know, and... um and I think they have a little bit of a different flavor going. I think Oklahoma City, you know, at this point has been a little bit more show, the more of the show cattle have gone there and in the, the hill. I don't know the hill entries in Denver this year, so I shouldn't say that. But, um, I, I, you know, it, and then a lot of the really more extreme EPD cattle maybe are going to Oklahoma City in those sales. And I think our foundation sale has taken a little bit more of a maternal, you know, uh, a little more of a Western flavor. And so um, whether it's the type of cattle or the EPDs or the breeders, you know, how they're migrating to one or the other, so be it. But I see Denver having more of a Western and Northern touch to it in terms of the consigners and the exhibitors. Well, that foundation sale last year, um, the female offering in Denver was amazing. It is phenomenal. Heck, even Brian Ranchpool went in there. Yeah, yeah, give Joe credit. And I, the catalog should be out by the time we, this hits the airways, but lot one in the foundation sale is pick of the Wood Hill cow herd. Really? And, uh, yes. And Matt, Matt's all, ex- he's wound up about that. And so there's, it, it's going to be a good sale. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of eyes on that Denver sale this year. You guys did a great job last year. And I'm sure the offering this is probably Maybe even a little bit. I don't know if he made it better, but I'm sure it's going to be right there with it. Well, you know, let's give Matt and Dave more credit. Those guys are out and about in the summer and the fall, and they're visiting folks, and they're on the phone. They're working. I mean, come 1st of July, those guys are working on this sale. And and I go back to the Conover and the Rance Long days, and, and it was totally different back then. Um, these two guys are getting after the kind of cattle they want and they, they know will sell and, and they're getting after the breeders that they want to be a part of it. And, and it's going to be, it'll be diverse, you know, in terms of the type of cattle that are in there, but, uh, there's some good stock and some good breeders in it. Hey, let's wrap it up right there, Brent. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your early morning. We're doing an early morning. Thank you for coming on and uh, giving us a view of your herd, your operation and what's coming up in Denver. Well, I sure appreciate being on. Um, you're, uh, we've enjoyed listening to your podcast, and hopefully, we added some things here to to entertain and and uh, people and t- tell us a little, or tell them a little bit more about us. But uh, I think the take home message is come to Denver. It's it's impressive. Well, thank you.